Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex to be considered before becoming a client of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Securities are offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Annex Wealth Management and HBEC are unaffiliated. This program may contain forward-looking statements which may not come true. Please consult with an advisor about your specific situation. Taking the mystery out of investing with answers to your financial questions. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald from Annex Wealth Management. On WTMJ. Know the difference? It's Team Tech Trust. This is Money Talk, Saturday, April 20th. AnnexWealth.com is the website. Sign up for that free portfolio analysis. We're making it easier than ever. You can just click that Get Started button, and you can schedule yourself. More on that a little bit later on in the show. Our branches, Elm Grove, Mequon, Lake Country, Appleton, downtown at the Fister, and then Annex Everywhere. So if you can hear this radio station, WTMJ, we can be with you. Hey, it's Easter weekend, and look who's here. I thought you'd be on a golf course, Derek Felsky. Good morning. Our chief investment officer and Dave Spano, president and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for coming in. What's going on, guys? Well, you know, it was a shortened week this week. No trading on Good Friday, so there was just four days of trading. But in that four days, we are now just approximately 2% from the all-time high and a stone's throw from 3,000 on the S&P, a number, Derek, that you and I started to talk about early around January, and we've made it a heck of a rally uh, through the first quarter, and now we're into earnings season. Lots of news out there right now. Yeah, there, there really is earnings season. We're very early in it, but the beat rates are, are higher than normal on earnings and roughly in line on revenues. Uh, companies like J.P. Morgan posted solid quarters. We've seen some good reports out of the tech sector. Uh, so earnings looks like, you know, the people People, I think, got a little bit too negative, Dave. We're, we're looking for a 7% growth rate in the fourth quarter. That went all the way down to a minus 4% growth rate uh, in the first quarter. And, you know, our expectation is earnings will be roughly flat on a year-over-year basis, which is still a solid earnings performance for the S&P 500. Yeah, you know, last year we had spectacular growth in earnings, yet... Uh, we ended up with a down year. In fact, the fourth quarter uh, was one of the worst that you and I can remember in a long time. But now we're off to one of the strongest starts in almost a decade. And a lot of the, the cash flows have still been out of actively managed funds. But, you know, right now there is so much to choose from because the fact that earnings are coming out, and that's really the report card on why to buy individual companies. Yeah, in fact, Larry Fink, a guy I respect a lot, he's the chairman of the lar- one of the largest institutional money managers in the world at BlackRock, he actually cautioned about a market melt up during the balance of this year. And he, he cited a number of things. He cited the fact that investors are holding a lot of cash, uh, just the, the, the sheer power of fear of missing out. You know, managers would have too much cash chasing in order to uh, justify their jobs and hopefully you know, perhaps even hold on to their jobs. And then also the fact that the international investor looks at the U.S. rather attractively. You know, our interest rates are a little bit higher, so that's a positive. The dollars remain strong, so they don't have a great deal of currency risk. And then the positive prospect of a trade deal between the U.S. and China and potentially lower global tariffs overall, you know, point to a fairly rosy picture. In fact, Dave, you might remember the Atlanta Fed at the beginning of the year was looking for a 0.4% increase in uh, Q1 GDP. That number has been revised all the way up now to 2.8. So Q1 is shaping up a lot better than people thought at the beginning of the year. You know, and, you know, so a lot of people that we talk to say, I don't get it. Why is this happening? Well, there was a number of things. I think in the fourth quarter of last year, 
year, there was an overreaction. People remember that the government was shut down and interest rates were supposed to be rising throughout the year. And now we go into the first quarter, and a lot of that has been resolved. Earnings are coming through. And so there is some logic to why this is happening. And you mentioned, by the way, you mentioned interest rates around the world. There's negative interest rates in parts of the world, including Japan. The German Bund is paying next to nothing. And when you look at where we are here in the United States, capital flows in, and that's part of the process. Yeah, and the other thing that's gone on, Dave, we've talked about this a lot, is, you know, there have been company buybacks. I think we're at a record level in the first quarter. You know, that reduces stock supply. So, oddly enough, you know, the Wilshire 5,000, well, there aren't 5,000 stocks in the Wilshire 5,000. are about 2,500. So, the number of publicly traded companies gone down. All these buybacks have reduced the supply of shares. So, if you're an investor and you're looking for something better than 2.5% on a 10-year bond, uh, you know, that's just buying power and buying pressure, which you really have yet to see from the retail investor. We certainly have seen it from the companies. The S&P companies repurchased $143 billion of their own stocks in buybacks. That's a 59% increase. And so why are they doing that? Because interest rates are low. They can borrow at a low rate, go back and buy their own shares back. And that return on investment is better than deploying capital in other ways. So we're not surprised that that has happened. No, no, we're not. Um, you know, and then the, we had a couple of other things that happened this week. We, got, we saw a really strong retail sales number. We saw unemployment claims at a 49-year low. Uh, we saw the Philly Fed index, Fed index come in a little bit better than expected. Leading indicators remain uh, in a positive zone. Uh, so basically, the fundamental backdrop remains, remains fairly strong. And I think really the only thing that's holding the market back at this point is that trade deal? Yeah, and we'll have to see because you know if we're hearing that uh, even by the Trump administration that 90% of this deal is done. We'll have to see if that actually happens. It seems that the market is trying to price that in at this point. As we go forward throughout the second quarter, we're going to have a lot of conversation about that, about Fed rates, about what's happening with China, and of course all the other political news could move the market as well. Thank you, Dave Spano. It's ten thirteen. Money Talk Annex Wealth Management for Saturday, April twentieth. Still to come, great conversation with one of our planning members of our planning team about Social Security spousal distributions. It's a process that can be fairly complex. You need an expert. We've got experts. Ron Johnson will be joining us for that. Also, a little bit later, if you're a government or a public employee, the Wisconsin Retirement Services statements are arriving. How do you use that when you're dealing with an investment advisor? If you've got one, uh, lots of good information. Jason Gennier is going to join us. He is a 25-year law enforcement veteran. Uh, yeah, veteran. And he's also a uh, wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Really smart guy. That's on the way. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. Money tips that don't cost a thing. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. And we're back. Team Tech Trust. This is Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, Saturday, April 20th. Not a bad day. Great weekend. Thank you for joining us. AnnexWealth.com is the website. Get that free portfolio analysis. Also, sign up for the Axiom, which is our weekly newsletter. And Dave Spano, we also want to recommend uh, Annex's YouTube channel. It's more than like cat videos and things like that. I mean, it's really all of our really good content. If you have a question about any of the, any topic, we've got something for you. Yeah, there's 500,000 views, which is interesting because you said all of our really good content. So it should be only be... <laughs> 
it should only be a couple of videos, but we do. We create, as you well know, because you help create it, uh, we create a lot of content on a weekly basis. This is not just advertising. We, we sit down and create uh, actual content throughout the week. There's the difference. There is no the difference. And so, you know, talk about what's been happening this past week and actually the last couple of weeks is a lot of talk about initial public offerings or IPOs, which is really a situation where companies become public. So and that's become that goes on the secondary market where you can you and I can trade on it on a daily basis. But again, this week we saw some more IPOs. But talk a little bit about what happened with Pinterest, and then we'll we'll go full circle. Well, you know, Pinterest uh, came public on uh, on Thursday. It's an online scrapbook essentially. And they do not currently make money. Uh, they did price the deal at a, at a decent level. Uh, $2 above the high end of the initial range at 19 and it did trade up in the aftermarket, so that would be seen as a successful IPO. On the same day, Zoom also came public. It's a cloud video conferencing service. Uh, they do make money, and frankly, it was met with a lot greater enthusiasm by investors priced at 36 and trading in the mid-60s. So, you know, two IPOs, uh, two vastly different business models, certainly a better outcome than what, what the ride that uh, Lyft investors have experienced thus far. You know, let me just jump in because, you know, we saw a Zoom video that came out as well, and that traded up 75% from its IPO price, and we saw uh, Pinterest rate trade as much as 25% up from its initial uh, price, and so that was really interesting uh, that we saw that happen on Thursday, and so but we saw that also with Lyft, where Lyft came out, traded up to $88, and now it's trading back down to 60. So there is some gamesmanship that's happening. Oh, there totally is. As Dave, as we've talked about many times, you know, IPOs trade mostly on sentiment. They trade, you know, people that use the service or know the service get excited. Uh, but often these companies come with with a lack of discernible valuation metrics. Uh, then you have the lockups that, that are out there five, six months away, which can exert downward pressure on the stocks going into those. So many times I just say to people, you know, there's no need to rush and buy an IPO. The company, if you believe in their long-term future, they'll be they'll be around. There's no need to step up immediately and own own a position, but really take some time and, and see how they do on their first couple of earnings reports and like, uh, because many successful I, uh, companies actually experience hiccups after the IPO. Remember, Facebook was cut in half after it came public. Amazon, the same thing. Clearly, they've both been incredibly successful and have and have left their uh, initial public offering price in the dust. So let's uh, switch topics. There was a lot of talk this week about two opposing sectors, healthcare and tobacco, both of them made news this week. Yeah, healthcare is feeling the burn, no pun intended. I mean, the healthcare uh, sector ETF is down about 7% over the last month. Uh, there's lots of concern that as Bernie Sanders' odds of winning the Democratic nomination go higher, uh, that his Medicare for All proposal could essentially destroy the private uh, healthcare health insurance market. By the way, 177 million people would be affected if this would actually happen. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, basically to, to believe that that will occur, you have to believe the Democrats will win control of the Senate, they'll maintain control of the House, that, that a Democrat will occupy the, the Oval Office, and they'll be able to overcome a 60-vote 60, 60 uh, veto majority. So it's, it's very, very tricky to, uh, to make these claims. So I, you know, now, I, in my opinion, given the, that we're only 2% off the highs in the S&P, it really is a good, good opportunity to go through the health care stocks, like you know, companies like Merck and Pfizer, United Healthcare, and the like, and see whether, and if you don't believe that that's going to occur, these stocks have now come down to a very attractive levels on a valuation basis. I mean, it may take some time for this to settle out. Uh, we need to hear the campaign rhetoric and the debates and the like, but this is a sell-off sell that doesn't happen very often. Last time this happened really was during Hillary care. Right. 
1993. And, and we've seen this before, and I was just going to say that to our listeners. We've seen this before when there was this talk up into an election which did not come to fruition, and these health care stocks did get beat up until the election time. And so, you know, there, even though there's a valuation, it could, be, it could stay cheap for a while. Yeah, Dave. So, you know, as we built that equity income strategy, one, you know, one theme we thought about are the dividend aristocrats. These are companies that have increased their dividends for 25 consecutive years. And the reason you want companies like that in a portfolio is they tend to dampen the downside. And, and most people don't realize, but half the return that's generated from the S&P 500 over the long haul has come from dividends. It's not as sexy as Wall Street would like you to think it is, but it's really nice to have some portfolio stability, have a monthly paycheck, uh, be invested in companies that aren't negatively impacted as much by the business cycle, and, and that have you know, proven to be sustainable free cash flow generators. You know, and I do want to talk about the long-term uh, benefits of dividends in stock portfolios. And we, and we have uh, a portfolio, equity income, that has dividend-paying stocks, and we like to put them in for a number of reasons. And we're going to cover that later in the show. Their fundamentals really currently are not being negatively impacted. So the capacity of those companies to increase dividends and pay dividends you know, is a, is a nice situation to be in. You get paid to wait, and these dividend yields are higher than you get in a 10-year Treasury or the S&P 500 at large. It's uh, Derek Felsker, Chief Investment Officer at Annex Wealth Management. Going to take a break. It's 1023 at WTMJ. It's Money Talk. want to remind you, Annex's Women, Wealth, and Wisdom Group is set up for education, and they've got a great workshop coming up. It's called Women's Guide to Preparing for the Unexpected. And this happens at our Mequon branch. Our Mequon branch on Tuesday starts at 6 o'clock, goes for a couple hours, but this is a lot of fun. Bring a friend. Going to focus on awareness and the changes that life happens. It's a little bit different than the overall financial planning that we do, but this is a great workshop, very casual. And again, you can get details at AnnexWealth.com. Just click that events tab in the upper right corner. From simple investments to stock advice, back to Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference? It's Team Tech Trust at Annex Wealth Management. Team segment, Ron Johnson, our senior financial planner and CFP, is back. Welcome back. Hey, thanks, Danny. Let's uh, go over Social Security spousal benefits. What do you need to know about spousal benefits? And first off, I guess you need to explain what they are. Yeah, right. Well, it's a neat little benefit of Social Security. What it is, is if you've never worked, but you're married and your spouse has qualified for Social Security, you can get half of their benefit. I guess define never. Never? Ne like never ever? If you've never worked, so you never paid into the Social Security system? you still qualify for a benefit based on your spouse's, your husband or your wife's earning record. Let's say somebody stayed home, somebody worked for a while, stayed home, helped raise the kids and didn't go back to work. Does that ace them out of spousal benefits? Nope. So essentially what's going to happen is when you file for Social Security, Danny, the Social Security office is going to essentially assume that you've been deemed to file for both of your benefits. So you're going to get the larger of what you've earned based on your own earning record or you'll get the, your spousal benefit if it's larger. When can someone begin to collect spousal benefits, Social Security? With Social Security, you can start collecting benefits as early as age 62. That also applies for spousal benefits. The caveat here, though, Danny, is that your spouse has to be collecting their benefit for you to be eligible for the spousal benefit. So let's say that both of you and your spouse reach full retirement age. 
you will get half of their benefit. Now, what's interesting is if you decide to collect at age 62, but your spouse who has earned benefits wants to wait until their full retirement age, your benefit is actually going to be reduced. So you're not going to get half of their benefit. You're going to get half of their age 62 benefit. If that makes sense. Do people get confused? Because I am a little confused on this, and this is what good financial planning does, and this is what we do at Annex Wealth Management. But please tell me I'm not the only one that gets confused. Yeah, so so on the face of it, Social Security is pretty simple. You work all your life, you pay in a tax, and then you get a benefit when you turn full retirement age. Beyond that, it gets very complicated. There's all kinds of rules surrounding any kind of government program, and Social Security certainly isn't unique. Good, you got me off the hook. Okay, if somebody's widowed or divorced, can they still claim spousal Social Security benefits? So divorced, yes, you can still claim a uh, spousal benefit. The caveat here, Danny, is you need to be married at least 10 years. And what's interesting about spousal benefits when you're divorced, you don't have to worry about your ex-spouse when they take theirs. You can just wait to your full retirement age and get half of their full retirement age benefit. Now, widow is different. Unfortunately, if your spouse passes away, you actually have the option to get their whole benefit for the rest of your life, okay? Or you can claim that that it's called a survivor benefit. You can claim that for a period and then switch to your own benefit if it's larger. And there's lots of strategies around uh, the rules there. And, and obviously, a financial planner can help walk you through that. So the application process, what does that entail? How, how do they get that going? So the application process, for especially for a government program, is very easy. You can actually just apply online. And, and they essentially will take care of it f- from there. And I know as a financial planning firm, Annex Wealth Management, we really do advocate that people need to have other things than Social Security. But this is just one piece of the puzzle. And this you guys help assemble this in the planning department. Yeah, we've covered some of the basic strategies here, Danny. But really, your claiming strategy is much larger than just Social Security. We look at, okay, so if you defer Social Security to 70, we're going to obviously have to pull money from somewhere else but during between retirement age 70, right? So we need to figure out where that's coming from. What are the tax implications of taking Social Security at 62 as opposed to 70? That's things that we can work out for you as well. Within the business, is called the claiming strategy. Yep. Right. So there's lots of rules surrounding Social Security and what's optimal, and it's different for everybody. So it takes somebody who knows their way around the system to find the best path for you. That's you. That's us at Annex Wealth Management. Ron Johnson, our senior financial planner and a CFP, part of the team available for every single client of Annex Wealth Management. Ron, thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Danny. 1030 on Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. Get professional help with your portfolio. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. And we're back. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, Saturday, April 20th. Team Tech Trust. I'm Danny Clayton. Dave Spano is here. And Joe Martin, our estate planning attorney, a weekend off of coaching. And I'm not going to ask how things are going. That's that's what you don't do to a coach, right, Dave? Well, we always take wrong, we always take bad questions, Danny. That's part of the gig. But I'm glad she's here because it's a special session of Ask Annex this week. Got a lot of estate questions. And they actually went directly to you. So maybe they know where to go, right? Well, they, you know, ask, ask Spano. I don't know if that's the right answer. <laughs> Right. We, should, we should ask the expert. You know, and the first one that we got, 
got uh, was from Jill, uh, ironically, from New Berlin. Uh, she asked the question about funding a revocable trust, and there's so much that goes into that. You know, what is a revocable trust? What is a living trust? And we get this question a lot. So let's start with the primer of what a revocable trust is. Sure, Dave. So a revocable trust is first and foremost thought of as a way to avoid the probate process when someone passes away. And that helps save administrative costs and legal fees after someone passes away to do the effective administration of someone's affairs. And we see this a lot. In fact, uh, you know, people come in and say, should I have a living trust? Should I have a revocable trust? Or should I not? And there's a lot that goes into that conversation. We first and foremost start with uh, an inventory. Absolutely. It's really fact specific for every person, depending on what are the types of assets, who are the beneficiaries, special circumstances and situations. You know, my mom is one of those people who I'm an only child. She's widowed. I'm her primary beneficiary, so maybe she doesn't need a revocable trust as part of her estate plan. And when we talk about revocable trust, one of the things we look for is how the asset is held. So, for example, something that has a beneficiary designation, your 401k and IRA, something to that wouldn't would not be placed in that trust. Generally, no. Um, it's something that you could potentially pass through the trust as long as it's pr- proper from a tax standpoint. But the assets that we talk about funding into a revocable trust are really investment or brokerage accounts, cash, bank accounts, things like that. Real estate that you have, especially out of state real estate, that's something we definitely want to have in a revocable trust to avoid a, a probate process in a different state as well. And that was the question: Should I or should I not fund the revocable trust? First and foremost, how? is it held? What is the asset? I mean, that's where you start. Absolutely. Second question that we had, interestingly enough, you talk about real estate in other parts of the world and other parts of the state. Uh, you know, we have a lot of Illinois clients that have places in northern Wisconsin, and they say, how should I own that piece of real estate? And, and in fact, we do we talk about this a lot. We do, and we've actually got a great seminar that we do the, called Saving the Family Cottage, um, where we go into a lot more detail about this. But it's really trying to figure out what are your goals for that property. You know, it's usually a second or a third residence that you have, so making sure that it's protected, it's a legacy asset that you want to pass down efficiently to family members and provide some structure around how to do that. And there's no one answer. So you think about it, you know, you, do you have children or do you not have children, and, and do they even want the property? So one of the answers clearly could be just just gifting part of the ownership to them. I mean, that's just one answer. It is, and, and that happens a lot of times where people start to transition that ownership during their lifetime. The The next generation starts to take over ownership, management, responsibility, fees, expenses. But other times it's, I want to make sure that I have control of it during my lifetime, but I want to put it in a good place for once I am gone. And so one of the answers that uh, we have seen is uh, what's called an LLC. Explain to our listeners what that is. Sure. So an LLC is is something called a limited liability company. And so that's a statutory entity that you can create in Wisconsin. And what that does is it allows you to retitle that property and add members and ownership and put some guidelines through an operating agreement about who, what are all the rights and responsibilities of the people that own that property? So, for example, if you put this in an LLC, it's, it's, for, it's for rights and responsibilities, but it's not a tax plan. No, it generally is not, because if, if you use an LLC while you're alive, that is what we consider a disregarded entity. So it's not a taxable event to, to put a piece of real estate into an LLC, and so it's yours and you're taxed as you still own it today. So you talked a little bit about an operating agreement. So one of those things would be, uh, would, so my brother needs to go cut the lawn? Or, I mean, how does that work? Uh, it, it, it can be as simple as that, but it's also... You know, what's the voting requirements for deciding if you're going to do an addition or 
maybe there's some repairs or a new roof, or maybe we want to remodel a bathroom. How do we make decisions as a family to decide when do we do that and when don't we, and who pays for it? Yeah, and that's exactly right. And I saw this. Uh, we have a we have a little cabin in the woods, and our neighbor uh, he sent it to his children, but the children didn't or couldn't pay the property taxes, and it wasn't described how it should happen in the first place. It, Absolutely. And, and that's one of the big things is just putting the real estate in that LLC. That's step one. But a lot of times people need to add some cash to provide seed money so that it's funded for a number of years before the kids have to start contributing to it. And so Jill is our resident estate planning lawyer, and she's part of the team. And Danny, when we talk about team, we talk about tax plan, we talk about estate planning and investment management, wealth management, CFPs. That is all part of the process, and team is the difference. Team is the difference. Uh, team Tech Trust. It's 1040. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. We talk a lot about uh, getting going, right? Go to AnnexWealth.com, click that Get Started button, and it's as simple as the first thing that pops up on the screen is uh, your first and your last name, so we just need to know what to call you. Uh, an email and a phone number just so we can get a hold of you, not to bug you. Uh, your investment range, we also ask if you'd like an unbiased annuity review because that's a part of a lot of people's mishmash, as we say it, you know, just everything that you've accumulated over your life. And then where'd you like to meet with us? I mean, we've got five locations, so no matter where you are, including Annex Everywhere, which is just simple screen share technology. And then we just say, hey, what led you to this page? And if it's WTMJ, we'd certainly like to know that. But I think the most important thing, we get a little field that says, tell us about yourself. Just give us a little description of where you're at in your life, what your goals are. I mean, we'll get to that in depth when we when we talk in person, but just kind of give us a little snapshot. It's that easy. It's that quick when you click that Get Started button. This is Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, WTMJ. Time is money. Make the most of yours with Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference? It's Team Tech Trust. This is a team segment. Our public and government expert is back. Jason Ginner, welcome back. Hi, Danny. How are you doing today? Good. You like that? Public and uh, government expert? Yes. Uh, you're a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management, but your secret sauce, you do have a deep background in law enforcement, so like over 25 years now. Yeah, I actually got hired in 1994, so 25 years this year in law enforcement, um, and then also worked in um, labor negotiations for law enforcement organizations for almost a decade prior to uh, switching over to financial advising. I would think some of the younger Officers do not call you pops if they know what they're talking about, do they? Not if they know uh, what's good for them, I uh, guess. Good. Hey, very soon the annual statements are arriving for the WRS, the Annual Statement of Benefits. Tell us what those are and what they contain. Basically, it's your pension statement. It's an easier way to look at it. It's your pension statement. It comes out every year. So you'll get a statement mid-April. They send them out. Your employer will distribute it either through inter-office mail or, or they'll mail them to you. What it basically says is your years of service, how much you earned, when you can retire, your earliest age, your latest age age, and it's really just a snapshot, so it can be a little bit confusing to some people. It's a snapshot, but it's a lot of information, so what would you say people should key on? Well, first thing is like any type of financial statement, you want to verify the information. They're going to have what you earned in the last year, and that's coming from your employer, so what your employer reports to the state. They're going to have how many years of service, when you started, so all those things, first off, just kind of going through and verifying that information is a starting point. Should they use that to speak with a financial professional about their plans? Yeah, I think especially if you have outside accounts. If your pension is just one part of your financial plan, which would be a good financial plan, if you have outside accounts, whether you're using the deferred comp system that your employer offers, or you have IRAs, or you know you have kids in college and you're planning for, or planning for kids in college, all those things kind of go into that sauce. 
Well, you're right. And pensions are great, but they don't cover everything. So what is your opinion on what else should be in somebody's plan to provide a comfortable retirement? What do you like to see? I like to see a few things. First off, you want to have that short-term savings. Even though government and jobs are very secure for the most part, you want to have that money set aside in case the roof goes, your transmission goes, especially if they go in the same month. Maybe you're laid up off the job for a while, you get injured, you don't have disability insurance, and maybe you don't have enough time on, so you've got to replace your income. So that short-term savings is one thing. Again, you know, health savings accounts. If you have a high deductible plan, which many employers do now have, how much did you put in your HSA? Saving for college or paying off debt if you have student loans. Should I focus on my student loans or should I put money in my Roth IRA or my deferred comp? So there's a lot of different pieces to the puzzle. It's a matter of each individual's situation to figure out what's best to fund or pay down. Jason Ganier is here. We're talking about the WRS Annual Statement of Benefits. What type of employee gets that? Pretty much any government employee that's in WRS. It's one of the largest pension systems in the world. It's like the eighth largest public pension system in the United States. So most government employees, police, fire, teachers, city workers, most people are in WRS if they're full-time, and they'll be getting that statement. And I find that people often are confused about the statement. First off, it's a long legal document, not your normal 8 by 11 you know, the 11 by 14 paper. So that just in itself is, you know, a little bit to look at. Do you find that that type of employee sometimes thinks that they don't need planning, financial planning, retirement planning? Yeah, I think sometimes you just presume, you know, well, I have a pension, so I don't have to do any retirement planning. But we know a, a pension replaces a portion of your income. It doesn't replace all of it. And you have Social Security, but especially if you retire, you know, Social Security, the earliest you can draw on it is 62. So if you retire at 55, if you're, let's say, a firefighter, retired at 55, there's still seven years till you can draw on your Social Security if you pay in to Social Security, which a lot of fire employees don't even pay into it by design. So any success stories, anybody that you've been working with lately? Yeah, what people tend to do is they tend to try to uh, meet with a financial advisor as they're approaching retirement. You know, it's right there, it's in their windshield, and it's like, I need to sit down with an advisor. Personally, I think starting earlier is almost better. It's like working with a personal trainer or your physician. The earlier you can identify problems, the better you're going to be off in the long haul. But when people come in and they're two, three, four years out from retirement, we look at that statement of benefits. And what we can do is project what it's going to be in three or four years, because it is just a snapshot. So what we'll do is take their current salary. I'll probably gross it up, you know, one to 2% raises per year, add a few years of service, figure out which option they're going to take, because there's different options when you retire, survivor benefit, 100% survivor, 75%, no survivor benefit. And then look at, you know, their life insurance, their other investment accounts, and then make a decision on, you know, what maybe will be the best option, or can I retire in two years or should I stay three years? That's a lot of times what people are looking for. So if anyone listening is wondering, how do you navigate retirement as a public or government employee? Jason Ganeer, you're the guy. Yep. Like I said, at this firm, we specialize. We have big team, and I tend to work with government employees to understand those pensions and the unique financial planning pitfalls and also opportunities that you have with retiring early and having a pension. For sure. Jason Gadare, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management, thanks for the time. Thanks, Danny. Oh, that is a definitely shareable content. And I'm going to because my youngest son is a police officer. So I, I emailed him and I said, hey, I'm going to put this segment together. Can I email it to you? And he said, yep. So there you go. There's a great example of the team. I mean, here we've got a, an active police officer on our team that really knows how to navigate all of that for any government or public employee. His name is Jason Gadir, but he's part of the team, and you get all of that at Annex Wealth Management, the website, AnnexWealth.com. Just click that Get Started button and start with a free portfolio analysis. 
don't settle for less. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference? It's Team Tech Trust. This is Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for riding along with us on Saturday, April 20th. I'm Danny Clayton. Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer, is here. And Dave Spano, our CEO and uh, President of Annex Wealth Management. By the way, before we get into this, we just want to say bon voyage and good luck to Bob Godfroy, who is a financial planning specialist who retired from Annex on Thursday. We had a great little reception. And boy, did he talk the talk, and he was right. He just said, I mean, he like reminded everybody in the room, have a plan, folks. That's what I did. And he retired early, I believe. He did, yeah, and, and, yeah. Yeah, and he was part of our financial planning team. And again, you know, talk about the cobbler's kids. Right. You know, and so he did this. He knew that he had to have a financial plan. He did it. He lived it. He walked it. And, and that's evidence for everyone listening to that, is to have a plan. Because if you're in this business and you don't, right. uh, that, that's not a good thing. But, but he did so many things right. So we just want to say, uh, way to go. Bob. Yeah, nice th- job. Thank yeah. you, Bob. Thank you for your time. You know, you talk about uh, investing, for example, and you talk about sectors. There really is 11 sectors that you can invest in in the S&P 500. And there's so many of them that have done well and some of them that, that have been forgotten. But right now, you know, we look at software and semiconductors. And here we are as we go into the, the beginning of the second quarter. So much talk about semis right now. And, and for good reason, Derek. Yeah, well, the semiconductors were under a lot of pressure in the fourth quarter as, you know, Know, fears about the the trade war between the United States, fears that that would escalate, and and semiconductors obviously, which sell a lot into China and also depend on them in many ways for their supply chains, were, were pressured really abnormally. So I mean, I remember Lamb dropped as down to as low as one hundred twenty eight dollars a share, and now it's back above uh, two hundred. And this is despite still still or, some order softness. So people are clearly Dave seeing a pickup in economic activity into the second half, and and that's really what the market's going to need to see is we're going to need to see earnings growth pick up, revenue growth pick up, GDP growth pick up, and a positive resolution of the China-U.S. trade negotiation. And that is, and we are seeing a lot of that, you know, back to uh, semiconductors. You know, I don't just in my house, you know, it's you know, the wife and the kids, right? And you think about Xboxes and Netflix and the cell phones and all of that. There is a, a huge demand for what's called bandwidth. And, and I don't, I think that's only going to continue, Danny, in, in all of our lives. And you look at how that's going to change. There's been a lot of talk about five. 5G. 5G is going to be a big, big thing. Now, what did we see this week, Derek, with, with 5G? Now, now, Intel basically walked away from going hard for 5G well, chips. Well, well, basically what happened was, you know, Apple had been in this long-running dispute with Qualcomm about royalty fees, Apple contending the fees were, were too high, essentially, and they were looking for alternate suppliers, so they motivated Intel to try to make modem chips for, modem chips for 5G smartphones, and the minute that Apple and Qualcomm agreed to end the legislation, Intel dropped out of the business because... Because A, they were losing money at it, and B, they don't do it as well as Qualcomm, because Qualcomm is the one that sets the standard. So if you set the standard and are also a manufacturer, you've got a big front, front mover advantage. But this was also good news for Apple, too, because there was some fear that they wouldn't get a 5G phone out there till 2021. But by virtue of renewing that relationship with Qualcomm, a six-year agreement, uh, that, that makes Apple much more of a formidable competitor in 2020 for 5G smartphones, which will be probably the, uh, the biggest upgrade cycle Apple has ever seen. I'm seeing a lot of coverage. You know, guys are doing the speed tests on, mm-hmm. on the street. I mean, it, it's remarkable. And that's just speed. I mean, what this eventually would be able to do for just overall connectivity and communication, it's going to be pretty amazing. 75 billion devices around the world are connected to the internet. So you think about that possible demand and, you know, and think about for businesses, 
if if you don't go to your site in three seconds, people right. abandon that search. Right. And so, you know, people need to do this. 5G is going to be able to in, enable Internet of Things. What is that? That's going to be able to talk to your house and change the temperatures and, and automation of cars. Obviously, there's a, there was a lot of talk about autonomous driving. All of that is coming, and it's going to need bandwidth. Why is that important? Because as we look at people's portfolios, Derek, and it happens all of the time, we go in and we look at people's portfolios, Derek, and it happens all the time. Somebody will come in and show you a portfolio, and you have to go through that and try to figure that out. I, I do. And, you know, one of the interesting things about United States versus other markets, say Europe, for example, is roughly 25% of the S&P 500 as technology companies. In Europe, that's about nine. So when people wonder why international markets have lagged the U.S., it's primarily because the U.S. is the fountainhead of technological innovation. And so when I look at people's portfolios, you know, oftentimes I see overweights in tech, but I also see a lot of overlap as well. So, for example, in our portfolios, where we've been tactically overweighting technology really for the last seven years, we have to consider actively managed fund managers who are generating performance elsewhere because that doesn't really help us from a diversification standpoint to just layer on another tech-heavy mutual fund. Thanks, Derek. Thanks for coming in. And, of course, uh, happy Easter to everybody. And please go out and enjoy the weather. For sure, 50 degrees right now at 1058. That's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. Head to AnnexWealth.com to click that Get Started button. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Good Karma Brands Milwaukee, LLC.